The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz. Well, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, to the 123rd edition of Dave's Gone By on this Thursday, April 14th. 2005. Actually, I need to rephrase that. It's not the 123rd edition we've done on this Thursday. We couldn't have. The show runs an hour, so at most, we could only do 24 editions on one particular day. So, by now, being 7 p.m., let's see, taking out my handy imaginary calculator, carry the 1, divide by 86, at the most, this would be our 19th edition had we started, you know, at midnight. So, no, what I meant to say is that this is the 123rd episode of Dave's Gone By. And tonight happens to be the 14th of April. And I happen to be the Dave of Lefkowitz. And I do my best to make every episode a mix of smart talk, silly talk, special talk, and music. It's a fun job. But somebody's got to do it. And it's neat to have this forum once a week to talk about anything I want to talk about. Anything at all. I mean, I usually have a pretty tight, segmented show. An interview here, a song there, a monologue after that. But within those parameters, I'm pretty free to ramble at will. So, at least for the first couple of minutes tonight, I'm just going to let my mind go blank. I'm going to talk about the first thing that comes into my head. Could be art? Could be politics, maybe something about a world crisis, or perhaps some deep analysis of the current economic situation, vis-a-vis gas prices, social security, and the national debt. I mean, I could go there, but I haven't really done enough research, so maybe I'll still steer clear on that. Uh, there's, there's literature. Hey, Saul Bellow died. Bummer. Yeah, some of his stuff was pretty boring. A lot of dialogue, dialogue, dialogue that might have worked better as theater, but he did do some good books. Herzog was neat, and I love Henderson the Rain King. Um, and how this little Jewish guy came to write such a John Eustonish adventure story is beyond me. But, you know, that's the greatness of writing. And Seize the Day was pretty good. More like a short story about this guy seeking his father's approval. If you ever get to see the TV movie they made of it, it's worth catching. I think it was the first time Robin Williams did a serious role, long before Awakenings and Goodwill Hunting and Jacob the Liar and Patch Adams and so forth. He was pretty restrained here. But anyway, Saul Bellow passed away on April 5th, and he lived a life. I mean, apart from the pages of his books, he had three wives and five sons, plus a daughter that he had when he was 84. Kenahara, as Rabbi Saul Solomon would say. Of course, now she's five years old and doesn't have a daddy, but <laughs> let's not let that detract from the romanticism of it all. And as far as my deep, critical analysis of Saul Bellow's work, um, well, you just heard it. Too many words and the occasional home run. Ah, there's a segue for you. How about those Mets? Yes, when all else fails, talk about the Mets. And the Mets were failing, too, for a few games. 
But, you know, I'm getting tired of these sports writers who, no question, they have to fill copy several times a week, and they've got to keep things exciting and interesting and up to the moment. But when you lose a couple of games in a row, as the Mets did, they lost five straight to open the season. You lose a couple in a row, that's it. It's the first week of a season that ends in September. And you could see sports writers pushing the collapse angle. I mean, the first game, really close. Anybody could have taken it. But the Reds pulled it out in the bottom of the ninth. And that did take some wind out of the Mets' sails because they dropped the next two and then two more against Atlanta. But hey, they're supposed to lose against Atlanta. And yet after the fourth loss, the Oscar Madisons were already using words like or, or they actually were not even using words like disappointing or slow start, but like disaster and embarrassing. Now granted, five losses is nothing to be proud of and not fun any time of the year, but must we shine such a glare on it just because it happens to be the first couple of games out of the box? And I bring this up because it really hit me when I was reading all these columns that a season is 162 games long. I know everybody says that. It's a long season, and what happens in June already feels a thousand miles away from early April. But sports folks obviously don't take their own advice because they get so worked up over wins and losses right at the tip of the iceberg. And even before the Mets won their first game, and then another after that, both in pretty exciting style, by the way. But even before then, I calculated that these days, especially with the wild card set up the way it is, a team has to lose at least 70 games, sometimes 80, before they're eliminated from playoff contention. Even a desperately mediocre team doesn't give up that last flicker of hope until mid-August. And so, the Mets would have to lose 14 times the games that they have already lost to feel like they're grinding their gears again. Now, this doesn't mean they won't, or that even with Martinez and Beltran and Piazza working hard, they won't wind up at 450 again. But a little moderation, please. This isn't football. You lose five games, the season isn't a third over. So, of course, root, root, root for the home team, Mets or Yankees, if you prefer the pinstripes, but let's at least wait until 20 or 30 games before saying things like, same old Mets, or who signed off on that trade, or how long before Willie Randolph's job is on the line, blah, blah, blah. It's spring, people. There'll be wins, there'll be losses, and considering the Knicks this year, not to mention the Invisible Islanders and Rangers and every other hockey team, just be happy we have baseball. Will the home run count go down now that officials are actually policing steroids? <laughs> yeah, right. But hey, this is AM radio, so we're not even in steroid, we're in monoroid. Yeah. Sounds like a venereal type of hemorrhoid. And speaking of venereal hemorrhoids, how about that Michael Jackson? And it, oh, uh-huh. Oh, we have to move the show along? Ah, well, see what happens when I'm allowed to flick along on a stream of consciousness? Not very pretty, is it? But we have an adorable show for you tonight on Days Gone By. As always, a DGB-13-rated mix of comedy, talk radio, and music. 
It's been a few weeks since we've done the news gone by. That's our weekend update style look at news and current events. But we're making up for that with a triple extra grande sized news gone by tonight, including stories about Peruvian cab drivers, Hong Kong parasites, a Norwegian shoe thief, an Albanian fisherman, biker babes, a clever clock, a camel costume, freaky frogs, and the muzzle awards. In other words, stay tuned from now till 8 o'clock, because you don't want to miss some of these stories. And you're going to want to hear Inside Broadway, too, with a look at a brand new Broadway musical and some gossipy stuff on Christina Applegate and Daniel Davis. <laughs> Not together. Inside Broadway is brought to you by Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine. Other parts of the show are brought to you in part by Hewlett Minuteman Press for all your printing, copying, binding, and promotional needs. And the rest of Dave's Gone By is brought to you by me, Dave. Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, theater critic, journalist, and rain king. Well, Drizzle Prince, anyway, and I'll be showering you with verbal delights for the next 50 minutes. Don't go away. Okay, so your business proposal has been typed, proofread, photoshopped, and given a nice cover. Now, all you need is 20 spiral-bound copies, plus a thousand copies of your latest brochure on special paper. Your Xerox can't do it. Your mailroom can't do it. Hewlett Minuteman Press can do it all. Your one-stop printing shop. Minuteman, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett, open six days a week, 10% off for Dave's Gone By listeners. Family-owned Minuteman, their service can't be duplicated. Hey, baby, for a good time, don't call me. Read Dave Lepkowitz's book, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World. It's got all these funny comedies in it. They make you laugh, they make you think, they make you... Ooh, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World, 516-295-1511, or davesgoneby.com. If you like Dave on the air, you love him between the covers. Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theater guide. continues on Broadway with all these plays and musicals making sure they open by the first week in May. They have to, otherwise they'll miss the deadline to qualify for Tony Awards. So, after a quiet winter, the past few weeks have seen almost a dozen shows hit Broadway, including Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Spamalot, Steel Magnolias, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, On Golden Pond, The Pillow Man, Julius Caesar, Jackie Mason, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, all shook up, and the Pulitzer Prize-winning doubt. And the onslaught is far from over. Still to open in the weeks ahead are Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, A Streetcar Named Desire, and Sweet Charity. You've heard about that one. That's the revival of the Cy Coleman Show with a book by Neil Simon. Set to make her Broadway debut was Christina Applegate, 
the apple-cheeked sexpot from TV's Married with Children. Critics were wary of Applegate being cast in a musical that had once been a starring vehicle for Chica Rivera. In fact, the out-of-town critics said the best thing about Applegate was her dancing. She's actually had legitimate Terpsichorean training. What she didn't have was good luck, because on the road, she took the old theater cliché, break a leg, literally, and did. Well, she broke her foot, anyway, which put her out of commission for several weeks. What to do, what to do. Barry and Fran Weisler, the lead producers, went with her understudy, Charlotte Dambois. Critics in the boonies agreed that Dambois could dance, act, and carry a tune, but she didn't quite have star quality, and without that to sell tickets, the show wasn't fully ready for the bright lights, the intense spotlight of Broadway. So the Weislers decided to close the production down, call it a day, write off the losses, but save future losses, bringing a flop into New York. Except it didn't end there. According to the New York Post, Christina Applegate was all broken up about her foot breaking down, so she called and begged the producers to keep the show going. She even raised, or donated, a million or two bucks to shore up the budget. It was an offer the Weislers couldn't refuse, and now Sweet Charity is back on schedule, previewing at Broadway's Al Hirschfeld Theater. Charlotte Dambois has been doing the first couple of weeks of previews, but Christina Applegate has vowed to come into the show on April 18th and be ready to open officially on May 4th. It would be the Cinderella story of the year if she proves she's got the stuff. And speaking of Cinderella stories, there's another musical one of a sort opening on Broadway this week. It's The Light in the Piazza, and it's by the composer who did Floyd Collins and the book writer who wrote the plays Blue Window and Prelude to a Kiss. That's right. Adam Gettle and Craig Lucas are teaming up to tell the musical story of an unusual romance in Florence, Italy. Why is it unusual? I'll tell you in a moment. But of course, you wouldn't need me to tell you. If you subscribe to Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, Performing Arts Insider, more than 60 years old in a bible of the theater industry. If you want to know what's opening on Broadway, Performing Arts Insider. If you want to know what big stars might come to Broadway or off-Broadway in the months ahead, Performing Arts Insider. If you're going to be in the city and you want to know what cabaret show to see or what musicals are appropriate for the kids, Performing Arts Insider. No other theater magazine answers so many questions in such an easy-to-read, fun-to-read, comprehensive way. Every issue has a day-by-day listing of productions opening on, off, and off-off Broadway, as well as cabaret, opera, and dance, too. And in the second section, tons of information about all your favorite shows. Now, Performing Arts Insider is an expensive magazine. There's no getting around that. Subscribers include producers and theater owners and actors and booking agents who pay very good money to get the inside scoop on New York theater. Well, they're happy to pay because it's worth it, and you can get the magazine the professionals get at a substantial discount, 10% off the regular price, just $12 an issue, an issue that you will turn to again and again, 
all month long for theater news, reviews, gossip, and more. To learn more about Performing Arts Insider, go to performingartsinsider.com. You'll see sample pages and an overview of the magazine. And when you're done with that, just surf over to davesgoodbye.com, because when you mention you're a Dave's Goodbye listener, you can get that 10% off off of Performing Arts Insider. Returning to Inside Broadway, we're shedding more light on The Light in the Piazza, a new musical by Craig Lucas and composer Adam Gettle. It's the story of a wealthy woman and her daughter vacationing in Florence in 1958. The daughter meets a handsome Italian man, they fall in love, and mother's just worried for her daughter's safety and her family honor, especially since her 26-year-old daughter has only the mental capacity of a 12-year-old. Uh, you knew with Gettle and Lucas there had to be a dark side somewhere. When Piazza had a pre-Broadway run at Chicago's Goodwin Theater last year, the authors were interviewed by American Theater magazine. Lucas said the real challenge of writing the book was making an interior monologue by the mother more large-scale and full of dramatic action. Gettle, who is the son of Mary Rogers and the grandson of the great Richard Rogers, told American Theater he wants his music to evoke, quote, the first bloom of romantic love. It's a kind of overwhelming reality, unlike anything you get when you're actually living. The feeling within your stomach and heart of having it, and the actual physical feeling of losing it, are the same. Daniel adds that The Light in the Piazza has classical influences, and it's scored for piano, cello, violin, harp, and upright bass. Eight people on stage, he says, five in the pit, no conductor. Because of the material, it's probably not going to be some type of mainstream thing, but who knows? Well, Broadway will know in a couple of days after The Light in the Piazza opens at Lincoln Center's Vivian Beaumont Theater, April 18th. And finally, on Inside Broadway this week, starting tomorrow, La Caja Faux has a new Georges. You might have read about this in the New York Post. Gary Beach played Alba, and Daniel Davis from The Nanny was Georges, but the gossip was that Davis wasn't a particularly nice fellow backstage. He alienated everyone, most especially his co-star, Gary Beach, who was demoralized and began to dread his co-star. Davis made a lot of other enemies, too, until finally the producers of La Caja Fole fired him. An understudy has been playing George since then, but starting tomorrow night, taking on the role will be none other than Robert Goulet. It's been 12 years since Goulet's last Broadway musical, when he played King Arthur in a revival of Camelot. The original Camelot was Goulet's first claim to fame. He won a Theatre World Award for playing Lancelot, back in 1961. So, it'll be interesting to see if Goulet, now in his early 70s, still has the voice and the matinee idol presence to charm the blue-haired ladies. Or, in this case, maybe he'd better worry more about the blue-haired men. We've just been inside Broadway, thanks to TotalTheater.com and Performing Arts Insider. If you're a good American, that means you like to own things. Well, now's your chance. You can own a piece of my show. That's right, Dave's Gone By is ready to promote you. 
If you have a product, event, or service to hawk shamelessly, you can buy 30 or 60 seconds of advertising time on my show. You can even be a sponsor. Just imagine. This week's News Gone By is brought to you by you. We'll be right back after this word from your product. Advertising on Dave's Gone By is cost-effective and reaches listeners not only on Long Island, but thanks to WGBB.com all over the world. To get a piece of the Dave, call 516-295-1511 or email davesgoneby at aol.com. To see our disgustingly low ad rates, check our website, hometown.aol.com forward slash davesgoneby. Remember, you could be talking to you right now. Are you listening? Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. It's time for the news gone by. A look at world and local events of the past week from a cynical and sin April perspective. We begin, for once, with happy news. Congratulations to Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles, who finally made their 25-year relationship legit by tying the knot last weekend. The marriage was sanctioned by the Church of England, and Queen Elizabeth attended the after-party. Technically, Camilla is now the new Princess of Wales and will be Queen when Charles ascends the throne. But... Camilla's vowed not to take those titles in deference to public opinion. Instead, she's going for the much simpler slut made good. In world news, ding dong, the Pope is dead. Yes, yes, we all know. He was a great guy. He was an excellent Pope. The next fella is going to have some pretty big robes to fill. And John Paul II got the Mondo Grosso funeral, the world paid tribute. So, let's leave it at that, all right? But no, like all those people shouting, Santo, 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 at the funeral, they can't leave his memory alone. He can't just be a real mensch. He has to be supernatural. So now, he had all these stories coming in about how sick people were healed after visiting his holiness. A Jewish guy, no less, millionaire, terminal brain tumor, visits the Pope, takes communion, and boom, the tumor's healed. Of course, the communion water had barium in it, but still, another report says he cured a 16-year-old boy of lymph gland cancer, which was probably not released while John Paul was alive, because, well, why was the Pope touching a teenage boy's lymph glands? But seriously, the Vatican has apparently compiled a long list of miracles during the pontiff's tenure, but of course, they don't count. According to church rules, miracles aren't valid, unless the person is already dead when they're doing the miracle. I couldn't make this stuff up, folks. The Vatican says a pope has to be dead in order for him to perform a miracle. Of course, if the pope had miraculous healing powers, he wouldn't be dead now, would he? Or or at least he would have deflected that bullet a few years back. In technology news, the Associated Press reports that going on sale to consumers soon for about $5,000 is, quote, a small, walking, man-shaped robot. Wow. I guess after this term, Dick Cheney doesn't have a lot of jobs lined up. You know, I once had a laptop stolen by airport security somewhere between New York and Argentina. 
which was pretty irritating. But Australian Qantas passenger David Cox had an even more bizarre experience last, last week. Cox was on a marketing trip flying from Sydney to Melbourne, and in his suitcase were two animal costumes, a crocodile and a camel. How shocked he must have been while the plane was still on the tarmac to see one of the baggage handlers walking around in the camel suit. Qantas officials were extremely embarrassed about this breach in security, not to mention this flouting of customer trust. Mohammed El Shabzi, another passenger on the same flight, told reporters he was upset this kind of thing could go on. He said, how dare they? Next thing you know, they'll go through my luggage and start fooling around with my box cutters, my nitroglycerin, and my map of the Empire State Building. But seriously, since 9-11, the march of overboard political correctness continues. In this case, all the way to Sesame Street, where one character is undergoing a seismic paradigm shift. Astonishing as it is to believe, Cookie Monster is now discovering other healthier foods. The Children's Television Workshop told the New York Post it was high time that this Malomar Munchin monster modify his mouthfuls. So, now he'll eat green apples and leafy vegetables to go along with his dessert desires. Quote, Cookie Monster is not undergoing an extreme makeover, said spokesperson Rosemary Trulio, but we're in a health crisis. The incidence of preschoolers being overweight has been rising with severe health consequences, unquote. And so, in the first episode of Sesame Street's 36th season, it showed Cookie Monster singing, A cookie is a sometime thing, part of a balanced diet, but not the whole diet. I don't know. I go back and forth on this. I confess, I've wondered over the years whether, for children that young, Cookie Monster really was an appropriate role model. Here are parents begging kids to eat spinach and Brussels sprouts and raisins and what have you. Five days a week, though, they're watching this googly-eyed Svengali have an orgy of Oreos. And not on some Saturday morning commercial, but on a positive, message-filled educational program. At the same time, it's just a puppet, and a 36-year-old puppet at that. He was, and always will be, Cookie Monster. And if, subconsciously, he influences me even now to have Hydrox creams instead of hydroponic carrots, well, that's my unhealthy choice. It's not like he was the cigarette monster, influencing toddler Peter Jennings to light up. And besides... Cookie Monster always did eat more than cookies. If there was a lamp or a chair that was sitting around, someone wasn't using it, he ate it. If uh, Sesame Street was brought to you by the letter Q or E, it was Cookie Monster who bit off just enough to make them the letters O and F. And then he'd devour the rest of the letters because <laughs> he's a monster. And of course, the TV pundits have now come out wondering what's next to get the PTA treatment on Sesame Street. Will Oscar the Grouch, my favorite character, will they suddenly put him on Prozac and make him Oscar the vaguely discontented homeless puppet who sublimates his disappointments in antique collecting? And what about Bert? Will he finally come out of the closet, as his doppelganger does in Avenue Q? Will he finally give Ernie something to squeeze that's big and yellow, but not rubber ducky? Of course, Elmo gets Ritalin. That'll modulate his more eccentric behavior. And you know Big Bird needs some kinds of thyroid medicine, 
Not to mention surgery for that crypt orchid problem he's obviously had since 1969. And maybe, finally, finally, Snuffleupagus can kick that morphine addiction. Ah, Sesame Street, even you are not immune to the march of intellectual progress. I hear they're even eliminating the letter F since kids are too easily enticed to misuse it. And while we're on the subject, congratulations to the Federal Communications Commission, our beloved FCC, which just won a 2005 Muzzle Award. That's right. Every year around April 13th, Thomas Jefferson's birthday, the Jefferson Center for the Protection of Free Expression gives out an award. It goes to people or organizations who disregard Jefferson's plea for unlimited free speech. Topping the list this year is the FCC, which imposed a record fine on CBS for Nipplegate, a.k.a. the Janet Jackson Hooter Bowl, a.k.a. the Tempest in a Beacup. After that, the FCC fined Fox TV $1.2 million for a raunchy episode of the show Married by America. Now, whatever you thought of that charming program, the fine was leveled at Fox a year and a half after they've already yanked the program off the air due to low ratings. And that monster fine, by the way, was based on exactly 159 complaint letters received by the FCC. That's less than one per station that aired the show. Not surprisingly, broadcasters got so scared by these exorbitant penalties, they started censoring themselves. That's always the goal of right-wing, uptight, pseudo-religious bastards anyway. To the point where 66 TV stations would not show Saving Private Ryan because it had a few naughty words in it. Months later, the FCC ruled that Saving Private Ryan was not indecent. It's not like it was called Saving Ryan's Privates. And no doubt, the federal ruling sure came as a relief to the thousands of Americans in those cities who weren't allowed to make up their minds for themselves. So yes, the FCC richly deserves its 2005 Jefferson Muzzle Award, and probably will get another next year, since their new chairman, Kevin Martin, sounds just as retarded and evil as their old chairman, the devil, Michael Powell. But the FCC isn't the only muzzle winner this year. Let's not forget the Democrat and uh, Republican National Parties, which turned Boston and New York into virtual police states for a week, arresting and holding law-abiding protesters for 24 hours just to keep them off the streets. And also the MPAA is on the list, the motion picture people who do the rating system, GPGPG13. They get a muzzle award from the Jefferson Center for putting Trey Parker and Matt Stone through the mill for their film, Team America. Parker and Stone, of course, are the geniuses responsible for South Park. God bless them a million times. Team America was their satirical film last year, just full of dirty language, sex, and violence. Puppet. Dirty language, sex, and violence. As producer Scott Rudin told the board, quote, Our characters are made of wood and have no genitalia. All they get is splinters, unquote. Even so, the MPAA gave the movie an NC-17 rating, which is the equivalent of cutting its grosses in half, because parents can't bring their kids, even older teenagers, and many theaters won't even show NC-17 movies they see it as just across the line from X. 
So, to keep an R rating, Parker and Stone had to cut snippets from the movie nine separate times. Not the extreme violence, no problem with that at all, but from sex scenes. I think there was a golden shower sequence that wound up on the cutting room drain. As Parker said later on, quote, We blow Janine Garoppolo's head clean off, but it's all about the positions of the dolls having sex. It's not funny, it's tragic. Now, the Jefferson Committee empathizes with the MPAA in that they're self-policing the movie industry, so the government won't have to. And they're giving cautionary ratings, which the filmmakers can either agree to and keep the movie as is, or make changes to fit the guidelines. But, as the muzzle people point out, it's still a way of forcing artists to bolderize their own work in order to have an audience see it. For more information on the Jefferson Muzzle Awards, you can visit tjcenter.org. T as in Thomas, J as in Jefferson, Center. And as for the winners of this year's muzzles, well, I think you can guess exactly what I'd like to say to them. But I can't on the radio, because, well, between you and me, the FCC is kind of a sore winner. There are many ways to say you. There are many ways to say go yourself. Like burn in hell, like take a flying leap. Or, I'd love to see your whole family in a flaming train accident and piled up in a heap. There are many ways to say you and your ugly children. There are many ways to say eat and die. Like up yours, buddy, or kiss my ass, or it would be worth it to die in Auschwitz if I could just see you gassed. So many ways to express hate. So many ways. Isn't that great? We don't have to blaspheme or curse to wish a person illness and worse. There are many ways to say I could hurt you. There are many ways to call you a mother piece of like choke on your own blood. Or drop dead, you jerk. Or I hope an AIDS victim bites you and the chemo doesn't work. So many ways. So many ways. So many sucking ways to say you. Listen to me. Listen closely to me. That's right, buddy. Listen to me anytime you want to, because Dave's Gone By episodes are preserved on Compact Disc. Entire shows with a nice cover, track listings, own your favorite shows, or give a Dave's Gone By CD gift. Dave'sGoneby.com has an episode guide, and you can order there, too. $14 for CDs, 12 for cassettes, shipping included. Buy more, get a discount. So go to Dave'sGoneby.com, get a CD, and listen to me. Darling, listen closely to me. Butterfly mine, I think away the hours going from flower. Desire. 
to your sky. Returning to the news gone by with news of a natural nature, the heavy rains of this past winter have led to record numbers of butterflies populating Southern California. No ecological problems of any kind are expected from this giant migration, although a number of caterpillars have expressed worry that they'll no longer be able to afford their trees now that the neighborhood has gone upscale. Also on the nature front, Anna Nicole Smith has canceled the trip she was going to take to Newfoundland to protest the hunting of seals there. PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, organized the trip, and they warned Smith they could not guarantee her safety, as hunters have gotten violent with protesters in the past. Said Smith, I just don't know why these men would want to hurt cuddly, dumb, helpless animals. Said PETA, that's why you're not going, you fit the profile. And speaking of animal abuse, in northern Australia, the government is encouraging, encouraging people to kill frogs. Hit them with golf clubs, smash them on the heads with cricket bats. In the old days, they used to use air rifles, whatever works. It seems they've got an infestation of cane toads, which carry a poison that kills other animals in the region. And I mean... Big animals, crocodiles, adder snakes, and wild dingoes will go into cardiac arrest 15 minutes after eating a king toad. Actually, I think I'd rather have a bunch of frogs hopping around than a pack of wild baby-eating dingoes, but still. The irony is that Australia didn't even have the toads until 1935 when they imported the froggies from Hawaii to combat a beetle infestation. But... Female cane toads lay 8,000 to 35,000 eggs at a time. So, in 70 years, well, do the math. A spokesperson for the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals told Australian Radio it's actually less cruel to freeze the animals to death than hit them, catch them, put them in the freezer. Said Fiona Cummins, quote, We don't want children picking up their golf club or cricket bat and having a go at any animal, unquote. I don't know. Freezing also sounds cruel to me, and maybe hitting is the more humane method. Let's face it. If Michael Schleibo had played golf, Terry would have been out of her misery ten years ago. And hey, if Dr. Kevorkian had known about this method of euthanasia, that would have saved a lot of time and money. Besides, he could have said, I told you so. Sorry. Continuing the animal theme, former Oakland Raiders kicker Cole Ford is undergoing psychiatric evaluation after shooting at the compound of circus entertainers Siegfried and Roy. On November 10th last year, Cole Ford drove up to their place of residence and fired his shotgun, fortunately not hitting anybody. Ford was declared incompetent to stand trial for his recent actions. In his psychiatric report, Ford explained what he has against the effeminate tiger teasers. He said he wanted to warn the world that the illusionists were an unhealthy danger to humans and tigers because their act distorted reality. While watching Siegfried and Roy, Ford had, the report says, quote, a sudden realization that what was wrong with the world was linked to the illusionists' treatment dominance, and unhealthy intimacy with their animals, unquote. Ford also allegedly told the shrinks that he was sure 
Siegfried and Roy's close contact with the animals was related to the origins of AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases. Roy Horn, still recovering from that tiger attack last year, had no comment about the four shootings, nor did Siegfried, nor did any of their tigers. However, Michael Musto, in his Village Voice column, did out to maul the jaguar, saying that the thousand-pound animal had its own special trick, making Roy's sperm disappear. Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She has devised an ingenious improvement on the good old alarm clock. It's designed for the really heavy sleeper who isn't going to hear the standard buzz or just keeps rolling back to dreamland every time he hits the snooze button. Well, Gauri Nanda has taken care of that with Clocky, a revolutionary advancement in timekeeping technology. When Clocky goes off, if you dare hit the snooze button, the clock falls to the floor and rolls away, still buzzing loudly. To make it stop, you literally have to get out of bed and go search for it, presumably waking up in the process. According to Reuters, Clocky features two rubber wheels and is covered with thick 1970s-style shag carpeting so it doesn't break when it hits the floor. Clocky has a built-in computer chip that randomly decides how far it's going to roll away so it lines up in a different place each morning. Since word got out about Clocky, heavy sleepers have been coming out of the woodwork to inquire about buying them, selling them, or investing in the idea. One Virginia man wrote to Nanda saying, quote, I think I may have the record for hitting the snooze button five hours straight. I need help. Unquote. Another guy suggested that Clocky would work even better if it squirted water on him. And officials at MIT reminded Nanda that although her idea is clever, there already is something that wakes you up with a persistent, annoying, and incessant drone. They're called wives. And no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Taking a page from the Jay Leno book of stupid criminals, Riza Malai formerly the most wanted man in Albania, is now the most injured man in Albania. Malai was on the lam 
after attacking a police station last year, not to mention previous charges of assault and armed robbery. Well, Malai's worst enemy turned out to be Malai. He had gone fishing, and like most of us, when we go for a nice day of trout fishing, decided to use dynamite. Unfortunately for him, he was a trifle inaccurate in judging the length of the fuse and blew himself up. Even worse, he didn't die. He's in a Kosovo hospital, his hands blown off, his eyesight damaged, and serious burns all over his body. And worst of all, they still haven't found the hook. Here's another unlucky criminal in Oslo, Norway, where a thief broke into a car owned by a woman's shoe salesman. The robber made off with 25 shoes. But notice, I didn't say pair of shoes. Apparently, all the designer shoes in the case were for only left feet. The criminal abandoned the case nearby. As for the owner of the case, he was unharmed. In fact, even had the stolen left shoes never been recovered, let's face it, he would have been all right. Yes, 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 ladies and gentlemen, that is the sound, the memorable and well-remembered sound of the comedy bell. It's the bell that rings whenever we make the days gone by bad pun of the week. A joke so flat-footed, so arch, so heelish, that we have to ring the comedy bell just to save our souls. And we also ring that bell to remind you that you can sponsor the bad pun of the week, the news gone by, or many other parts of the program. That's right. Your business, your service, your special event. If you want to get the word out to the many, many listeners to this weekly show, all you got to do is contact us, and we'll get your advertisement rolling. Anything from a 30-second ad to a personalized sponsorship of your restaurant, financial center, travel agency, you name it, we'll promote it. And at prices so reasonable, you'll wonder why you waited so long to make your voice heard on Dave's Gone By. The rate card is posted on davesgoneby.com with special big discounts for long-term purchases. So don't miss the opportunity to tell everyone listening, just like you are now, all about what you do, how well you do it, and how we can all go about sharing and buying. davesgoneby.com or email davesgoneby at aol.com or call 516-295-1511, 516-295-1511, and ask about advertising on Dave's Gone By. For just a small fee, you can sponsor segments like the World Weird Web, the News Gone By, and of course, the Dave's Gone By, Bad Pun of the Week. Don't be good. Be ponderful. Continuing the news gone by with a Chicago Tribune story about a motorcycle shop owned and operated entirely by women. They don't just sell bikes, they build them with designs specifically for women's tastes and body types. Christine Vaughn, founder of Wicked Women Choppers, told the Tribune, quote, A wrong-sized bike is not only uncomfortable, it's unsafe, but... Women want to be macho, too. We want it to be just as mean and bad as a guy's bike, a bike every man would be proud to ride except for the pink, unquote. Wicked Women Choppers has already far exceeded expectations for orders thanks to the rapid growth in women owning and riding motorcycles. I don't know. This 
feminization of the traditionally male biker lifestyle is already going too far. Last week in Belmore, New York, police arrested six people in a biker bar for cheating at Mahjong. And this weekend, a biker hangout in Jessup, Iowa, is holding a wet quilt contest. Okay, here's a gross one. From Reuters, a Hong Kong hitchhiker visited a doctor last week complaining of an incessant nosebleed. She mentioned it had started shortly after she'd washed her face in a stream about two weeks earlier. The doctor discovered, according to the Hong Kong Medical Journal, that somehow she did not notice that a leech had crawled up her nose. And it's no simple thing to get out. A leech is very slimy and mobile and sticky, so surgeons had to give the woman anesthesia and pry the leech out of her nostril with forceps. The most surprising part of the story is that the woman went two whole weeks without noticing there was a living parasite halfway up her nose. Last year, a 10-year-old boy had the same problem, but he discovered it in just a few minutes because his finger kept bleeding. Hey, speaking of noses, here's one from the New York Post's Weird But True column, which may, in fact, be the least weird and most true column in the New York Post. Anyway, once again, an artist is at the forefront of a new idea. 22-year-old James Sui got tired of his glasses falling off, or fidgeting with them every time he changed positions. So, he had his glasses permanently pierced through the bridge of his nose. Ah, I know. But it does solve the problem of keeping eyeglasses in the same place on your face. Not only that, when Sui has to shower or sleep or swim... No problem. He can take out the lenses because they're held there by magnets. Said Sui, my invention is absolutely the ideal solution for people who wear glasses. You've got the frames embedded in your face, and the lenses are held by magnets with contacts on either side of the... Contacts on the... Oh, God damn it! I knew there was something I forgot to try. Do you think local cab drivers are bad? Listen to this from Peru. A study by San Marcos University in Lima discovered that of the 640 cab drivers they surveyed, 40% had deep psychological problems. Not only that, they were aggressive, anxious, and antisocial to the point of psychosis. No surprise that hundreds of people die each year in crashes caused by reckless taxi and bus drivers. One line in the study says, quote, Drivers showed they would not feel any guilt injuring or running over a pedestrian, unquote. On the positive side, if they're willing to immigrate to New York, they have jobs waiting for them in the MTA subway system. And finally, in the news gone by, it's about time. No, really, it's about time. Daylight savings time, which Indiana lawmakers are trying to adopt all year round. Governor Mitch Daniels told the General Assembly eliminating the time change would save money and save a lot of confusion. Unfortunately, he gave his speech to an empty room because he started at 9 and everybody else showed up an hour later. And that's the news gone by for April 14, 2005. Please send your comments, criticisms, and camel costumes to Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. You'll find that address at davesgoneby.com, but feel free to jot it down now. Dave's Gone By, Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. Or 
email me at davesgoneby at AOL.com. Let me know if I can read your letter on the air, name withheld upon request, and let me know what you like about the show, what you don't like, and what you suggest for next time. Send me cards, letters, gifts, anything, but please, no leeches. That would really suck. Back after this. And that was news, if that was news, that was very, very, very special news. WGBB, the place for you and me, we're one big family, and let me make one thing clear, there's so many shows to hear, like Joyce Keller, the radio psychic, Wednesdays 11pm, she's one fine uncanny chick, and then there's Mike Shamari's Instrumental Invasion, Thursdays at 8, it's sweeping the nation, and Friday's at 6, if you can't get a date, there's Bonnie D. Graham telling you how to mate, Saturday nights, the Mike and Jimmy show, for rock and roll comedy, the place to go, and make sure to listen on Sundays too, at 7pm, it's Joe Salzo's Worldview, so many programs on 1240 AM. If you have half a brain, you tune in to them. Yes, WGBB is the place to listen all week long. Joyce Keller, Wednesdays at 11. Mike Shimeri with Smooth Jazz, Thursdays at 8. Long Island's Dating with Bonnie D. Graham, Friday nights at 6. Mikey and Jimmy and Politics on Worldview with Joe Saldone, Sundays at 7. So if you love Dave's Gone By, give these other shows a try. They serve your community. If you listen, you'll know. What do the letters DFSX stand for? They stand for Dave's Gone By, that's what, because DFSXRadio.com is rebroadcasting vintage episodes of Dave's Gone By every Thursday night at 8 and 11 Eastern Time. So, you hear me on GBB and then listen to me on DFSXRadio.com every Thursday night at 8 and 11. It's all the Dave you can ever want, kind of. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. Thank you so much for listening on this April 14th. I just have enough time left to thank my sponsors, Total Theater, Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, and the Copy Kings Hewlett Minuteman Press. Thanks also to Program Director Tom, to my amazing wife Joyce, and to all of you for listening. Don't forget that I'll be back at 9 with Filler Up, with music tonight by the Turtles, the Animals, Charlie Chaplin, and a great extended set by Liz Fair. That's Filler Up tonight at 9 on WGBB. And if you visit davesgoneby.com and click the link for DFSX Radio, you can hear a vintage episode of this show at 8 o'clock right now, or repeat it again at 11. Big guests coming up in the next couple of weeks here. Playwright Danny Arcieri, along with actor-director Stephen Tobolowski and actress Julie Haggerty, and a lengthy, wonderful chat with the one and only new wave legend, Reckless Eric. That's why you got to listen every Thursday night at 7, including next week, April 21st, for the 124th edition of Dave's Gone By. Until then... Don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night. Let's go Mets. Good luck. Goulet. And gone by.
with sunlight, your lips red as flame, your face with a luster that puts gold to shame. But if I'd ever leave you, how could it be in autumn? How I'd leave in autumn, I never would know. I've seen how you sparkle when fall nips the air. I know you in autumn, and I must be there. And could I leave you running merrily through the snow, or on a wintry evening when you catch the fire's glow? If ever I would leave you, how could it be in springtime, knowing how in spring I'm bewitched by you? Time.